Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at MindBuddyGreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. I'm happy to announce that Calm recently became a sponsor of the podcast. Calm is a meditation app with a ton of amazing features to help you relax, including guided meditations, sleep stories, and even a customizable breathwork bubble. If you're a frequent podcast listener or MBG reader, you might already know this, but I meditate twice a day, 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. In the past, I've actually avoided meditation apps because I don't like to be confined to one type of meditation. When I downloaded Calm, it totally changed my perspective on guided meditation. And that's mostly because of the large variety. You can choose between anything from structured programs like seven days of gratitude to a simple meditation timer that you just set while you do your own meditation. Most of the guided meditations are only 10 minutes. You can download the Calm app for free on iTunes or Google Play. If you like it, go to calm.com mbg for a 25% discount on an annual membership, which is just $45. Again, that's com.com slash mbg. My suggestion, start out with the seven days of happiness program. Trust me, your brain will thank you. Okay, so I have a confession for you guys. I am obsessed with guacamole and chips. But unfortunately, there's a dark side to my favorite snack, the spill factor. That's where the laundress's line of products is such a game changer. Their detergents and fabric care products can handle pretty much any stain and 90% of the items that you'd normally bring to the dry cleaners. I even feel comfortable using the Laundress baby detergent on my daughter Ellie's clothes. It's allergen free and can tackle anything she spills, which as any parent knows, is a big accomplishment. And I can rest easy knowing that their products are plant-based and free of nasty ingredients like petroleum, phthalates, and parabens. My wife Colleen and I have also started experimenting with the Laundress's home cleaning products in our apartment. They use powerful cleaners like vinegar and unique smell-good blends of eucalyptus and lavender and work on every surface from glass to stainless steel. Plus, their products are highly concentrated so they last a long time. If you want to kick off the new year with a squeaky clean wardrobe and home, visit thelaundress.com and enter code MBG20 to get 20% off your first laundress order. Again, that's MBG20 at thelaundress.com. Hey, everybody. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you all for listening to the podcast and to say that we want to listen to you. So if you have any questions, any dream guests, we are all ears. I would love to hear from you. So ask me anything and stay tuned for the answers or your dream guests on this very podcast. Send your questions to podcast at mindbodygreen.com. That's podcast at mindbodygreen.com. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks so much. And let's go back to the podcast. Shaman Durek is a third-generation shaman who has devoted decades to study and practice and becoming a thought leader and spiritual enthusiast for people all over the world. In addition to that, he is one of the most loving and kind human beings I have ever met. And no matter what religion you ascribe to, whether you believe in shamans or not, just give this guy a hug. There is no denying he is the best hugger I have ever 
come across. It is an honor to have Shaman Durek here today. Shaman Durek, welcome. Thank you. Thank it, you for having me. It is such an honor to have you here. Our resident shaman at Mind Buddy Green in, in the house. I'm very honored to be in the house. I love being in the house. There's so much love in the house. Well, thank you. You, you make a lot of that love possible here. Thank you. So you're a third generation shaman. I am. What does that mean? Third generation shaman. What's that like? <laughs> What's it like? Um, so all on my father's side of my ancestry, dating back to my grandmother and my great grandmother, her father, his brother, all of them have been shamans in West Africa. Um, and it has, you know, grown all the way up to me. And um, at some point, we thought there was going to be a split in the family. My grandmother always said that the next one will be chosen. And she was very clear about it. Um, she talked about the fact that, you know, the person who was going to be chosen is going to be someone who is going to change the way our family looked at shamanism and looked at our culture and was going to go into other people's culture. It was going to be full of love, was going to be like a balance of feminine masculine and that she was going to be my guide. So my great grandmother had talked about it with my father and of course and everyone and my dad used to be the person who used to sit with her and make the herbs and the ointments for the people who were sick and all this stuff and um and so he had no idea it was going to be his son and the funny thing is when i was a little boy i would be in my crib and i kept saying mama 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 and my mother who is um norwegian and tuscarin she said you know um i don't think he's saying me i think he's saying mama and that's my grandmother, and um, and yeah, that immediately the family knew that you know I had the potential. And then as I got a little bit older, they started noticing I had the gifts. The gifts started coming. There's like um, the interesting thing, which is really cool, um, and this actually goes back in a lot of old cultures as well. There are certain gifts that show up. Um, that represent you as being um, a mystic or a shaman or a seer and all of these different things. Um, in shamanism, you have the ability to communicate to your ancestors um, directly is the first gift, the ability to feel other people's pain, and then the ability to know when things are going to happen, the ability to speak to other spirits, the ability to... Um, to you know, have this sense of love and purpose towards um, humanity, and then there's all these other gifts too, like speaking in tongues and being able to um, learn learn people's cultures very quickly. And because a shaman has to have all these different gifts, so he can see through all the different veils um, that humanity presents and be able to understand them. Hmm. So, when did you realize you had a gift? I was about. I would say I was five years old when I started noticing, um, well actually when I was five I was playing around a lot and my mother um, would tell me uh, things that, you know, that she felt about me but when I, was, I remember when I was two years old my mom would bang the drum and my eyes would roll in the back of my head and I would fall on the floor and start shaking and I would go out of my body and I would see my ancestors and see the tribe and see all of the things and then come back in 
And then when I really recognized it, like when it really came to me was I was in school. I was in elementary, was it elementary school? No, it was preschool. And um, elementary preschool, I believe it was. Yeah, because, wait, junior high. Yeah, no, it was elementary school. And elementary school, I was um, playing, There's in, in those days, in, in the 70s, there used to. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't really have playgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> with grass and we had these boxes you know with like like um you know equipment in the box and like tan bark and there was just one girl and she was playing with me you know and we were playing on in the on the tan bark and she touched my hands and i remember feeling this pulse come through my body and i saw this white light flash and i remember seeing her like sick and her hair was falling out and her parents were crying and you know um it was like a horror film and it was like her was like she was like throwing up blood it was really really graphic and i just started screaming on the top of my lungs she's dying she's dying she's dying and the teacher the uh, preschool teacher came out serena uh, miss serena i'll never forget her with her short brown hair and she was always really sweet to me. She always nurtured me. And she came out and held me. And I, she kept, I kept kicking and screaming. And like, she kept telling me to breathe and calm down and breathe and calm down. And um, and I, I couldn't. And um, I just kept seeing this graphic image. And then um, they finally got me to calm down. I was like hyperventilating. And I went into the office. And they were trying to ask me what happened. And the, um, and the mother came and the parents came for the little girl. And um, and then, you know, the parents were talking to my dad and then my dad, you know, came with his um, had his truck there and he took me into the truck and he was driving me home. And he's like, you can't do that. You can't you can't do that. You cannot use your powers and make yourself different um, from the rest of the world. He's like, I grew up with that and you can't, you're not gonna be accepted. You're not gonna have friends. You're not, and he's like, I really wanna protect you from that part of our family and really want you to be a normal kid. You cannot do that. You have to stop that. And that's when I realized that, um, that there was something there. And then I would start. Um, so I'm assuming that you felt this girl was ill. Or someone I did. in her family. That she, yeah, she was. And then I found out um, later because Serena, my teacher, sat me down in her classroom and took me aside and put me in this little chair. And she asked everyone to, you know, everyone was off to recess. And she told me that um, the girl, you know, was really sick and she had leukemia. Oh. And um, I was like, what's leukemia? You know, and she was explaining it to me. I don't want to get emotional. Um, yeah. And, um, um, I was, you know, I, I, on one point I, I was blaming myself as a kid cause I thought, you know, well, did I do this? Did I do this? Am I cursed? Do I have something wrong with me? You know, and I had a stepmother, my parents divorced and my stepmom moved in. She was very Catholic and she was very scared. How do a Catholic and a second generation shaman um, because my father <laughs> was doing everything he could to get away from the family. And my father's father um, moved away from that part of the family and became Catholic as well, and then Seventh-day Adventist. So my father 
um, went along with him in this belief that if we weed out the shamanic side of our family, we can the kids will be able to have a normal life and we will have a normal life and mm. all this stuff that goes along with our family will be disappear. But then there's me. Sure. You know, and um, so my stepmom always took a shot at me every time she could. She'd always be like, you're evil. Like, you've been cursed with the devil. And like, you, you, you know, you're the devil's hand. And she'd say weird things to me as a kid. Oh, that's terrible. So it made it worse for me because I used to think that I was responsible for doing these things. And, it, and, you know, and as I got older, I had several situations with it as well, too. Even when finally my father realized my powers were getting too strong, he couldn't control it. So he let me start dabbling in my training. And as long as I studied religion as well, he had a very clear, concise um, idea that he would let me explore the shamanic side of our family and connect with those family members if I would go into the religious side as well. And so I was like, as I was learning shamanism, I was also learning Seventh-day Adventist. So, but... I realized being in school, like I remember being in class and one of my teachers um, was having a bad day. And I remember raising my hand and saying like, it just came out of my mouth. I was like, the fight that you had with your husband last night over the mortgage is not okay for you to take it out on us. And I was just like, oh my God, it's just, it's coming out. Mm -hmm. And then I got sent to the office again and my dad got mad. And so I just realized that, you know, I noticed that my friends didn't have certain gifts that I had and people started, you know, parents started getting afraid of me. And I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. Sure. I didn't have any play dates. No one invited me to their homes. And um, I was a loner. But that's normal because as one of my elders said to me, is that a shaman is a hermit, you know, and he's outside of the tribe. He's not inside the tribe. So that's going to be a part of my life. Uh, most of my life, I have to be comfortable being alone and being away from people. Sure. And so for some people who may be listening, maybe they're Christian, Catholic, Jewish, what have you, you know, I grew up Christian, the, the whole thing, and I believe in God all, you know, and some people will say like, oh, like this challenges my religion and, and, um, you know, for me, one of the things that was so powerful, not everyone has this chance, you know, when I met you, what I, what I say to people too, who may be like, oh, well, I, don't, I don't know about this shamanism, shaman thing, I say, he's the best hugger in the world. <laughs> and wh when I hugged you, and a lot of people have this experience, there's this tremendous energy, warmth, like I just knew like, th wow, this, this guy can hug, like there's something going on here. But not everyone, has that chance and i and i understand for some people how this idea of being a shaman can be scary challenging religious beliefs and without going down like that that rabbit hole what do you say to people who you know because you are human mm -hmm. you know you're, you you have real feelings and you're mm -hmm. a real person and and and, and you are human what, what do you say to people when they're they're challenged and and not open to maybe uh to you you can be scary to a lot of people. Yes. But you're not, when you're in person and you give a hug, it's like, oh, this guy, you just want to like roll up and, and just hug you forever. <laughs> so uh, what, what, do you, what can you say to those people? Not everyone has the opportunity to get to hug you. So the thing is, um, I do, I, I work with a lot of religious people. I work with a lot of um, Hasidics. I work with a lot of um, Jewish people in huge Jewish communities that are very closed communities, Jewish closed communities that don't even really connect a lot with other people in the world. And I also work with a lot of Muslims. I work with a lot of Christians, a lot of Catholics. 
And, um, and I studied the Bible upside down and backwards and forwards and um, studied world religion as well. So um, for me, I'm not here to take offense to how people choose to respond. I'm here to embrace people for wherever they're at in their evolution. So um, if they're scared of me, I just simply say, I understand. I go, fear is a very interesting thing. It, 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 you know, it's, um, it's there because there's lack of information. So I said, do you have any questions for me that you what information to because you know what I learned a lot growing up was that when you're afraid it's because you you're you're you have incorrect thinking you have mm. information that is not that is not set in a way that gives you clarification enough for you to not be afraid and um and so what I what I usually do is to disengage people's fear first by giving them the ability to be like I understand you're afraid and I understand that you may think this is you know um, something that you don't understand and that's okay but you can ask me anything you want mm-hmm. and the first thing they ask me is do you believe in God and I says of course all shamans believe in God and they're like well do you believe in Jesus or that I said we do believe in Jesus but we don't believe um, in the way that you believe in it for instance like we don't believe that you put all your power in God and blame God for everything that's going on we believe that God is in the essence of all things and is giving you the power and the sense and the common sense and the knowledge and the wisdom and the ability to see what's already been created for you to to join in that creation and then take that power and utilize it to build something even greater and better so you believe in free will we believe in yeah. free will with consciousness. Sure. Yeah. So you bring up God, and I, I know this is hard to summarize in a couple minutes, but we'll try. <laughs> You've also had a near-death experience. Yes. Talk to us about that. So one of the um, things that we shamans go through, and, and it's different for each shaman depending upon their culture their, and their, their training and what kind of shaman they are. First, let me just... Um, bring forth the information that there are different types of shamans and um, I'm a spirit shaman. So spirit shamans are one of the oldest shamans that were around in very old times on earth. Um, they were the first communers with the spirit world and so they um, basically operate in this pure devotion towards everything that is spirit and then whatever spirit takes form in, be it a tree or a flower or you or a dog or a cat, we have the same respect for each. So we don't we don't um, give more respect to a human than we give to something that's unseen or give more respect to something that's unseen and not for the dog or the cat we see the spirit in everything that's emanating and living the presence of this divine source of, of illumination and um, and then there's other types of sp- um, shamans there's root shamans and plant shamans and water shamans and fire shamans and you name it and um, and so being a spirit shaman, our lessons are a little bit more intense because the devotional aspect requires us to, to, to surrender a lot more than some of the other shamans would have to, um, to gain more clarity, but not just the clarity alone, but also the sensitivity to be able to tap into the different subtle energies that exist in the spirit world. So one, we have to not pollute our systems. Um, we um, mostly, a lot of spirit shamans go through da- dying as a, as, a, as, a, as one of their final rites of passage. Some other shamans will lose their eyesight or, you know, um, have a terrible accident that happens to them that they have to recover from or they stay, you know, with that accident pain in their body for the rest of their lives. Um, for me, I was, um, I basically suffocated to death and died. 
And um, I, my, um, I woke up one morning, I just got back from Belize, from the jungle, from working with a couple shamans there that had already warned me, other other shamans who warned me that <laughs> this time was coming. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you hear from other elders from different tribes, and it'll be like, you know, there's this thing that's going to happen to you where you're going to die. And, you know, and you hear, and even though you're a shaman and you've been training and you've been understanding all of these different rites and stuff, and that you have to um, overcome. When you hear someone tell you you're gonna die, the first thing your mind wants to go to is like, okay, whatever. You know, like I'm gonna die a spiritual death, or I'm gonna have some kind of, you know, aha moment, awakening of some sort. And, um, but no, that wasn't it. I actually physically died. And they were very clear about it. They told me it was gonna be a painful death. And, um, and then I get to make my decision if I choose to complete and become the shaman that I've come to be. And um, How long ago was this? Well, let's see, my birthday's next week, so I'll be 43, and I'm 42 you right now. And you have the same birthday as my mother, too, November 17th. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I am, I, I died when I was 28 years old. Wow, so it's been a while. It's been a while. And um, so you die, and then, of course, there's the recovery process, which takes another long period of time. But that's okay. It was all, it was all necessary for, to be who I am today and in, in the constant place of growing continuously, which is so wonderful and amazing. But the death itself, um, you know, one of the interesting things was I was reflecting back on my grandfather, the one who was very religious, and remembering all the things that he talked about death and he talked about Jesus and he talked about the afterlife and that you have, you know, you have to go through the book and you have to, you know, be judged by the judgment day and all these things like that. It never, none of those things quite happen exactly like that. But what I do remember was um, being rushed into the hospital at Hollywood Presbyterian because I was in LA at the time. I just got back from Belize in the jungle. It was only about three days after me coming back from the jungle. And, um, I got rushed in. I was in a stretcher. I had a friend there, my friend Marcus, and he was there and he was holding my hand. And he's an amazing guy. He's just amazing, amazing, amazing man to, to be there for me when I died. And, um, and literally held my hand. And then all of a sudden the room got really liquidy and light came from every angle. And then this woman showed up and started talking to me and telling me not to fight, not to you know, not to put too much um, need to hold on, that she's here to to take me from my body. And she told me that it, I asked her when it was going to start. I asked if it was going to be painful. She told me it was going to be painful, but the quicker I let go, the less pain it will be. And um, and I remember the room becoming normal again. And I looked over him. He's like, where were you? You were like just zoning out. And um, I was like, I was talking to this woman's spirit, and um, but I don't have much time. And he goes, why? I said, because I'm going to die. And he's like, no, you're not. I'm like, no, Marcus, please don't argue with me right now. I'm going to die, and I don't want to die alone. And he's like, I'm going to go get help. And I was like, no, you don't have enough time. I just don't want to die alone. And I started crying. And um, he grabbed my hand, and he's like, okay, if you're going to die, I'm going to be right here by your side. And all of a sudden, this knife started stabbing me all over my body, and my body started going into convulsions. I started having a seizure. My lungs dropped and I started feeling my eyes bulging out. And then these people came and they were, you know, trying to get oxygen and they couldn't. And I remember them like rolling me fast down this hallway and like pumping me with this this thing and putting a hole in my neck and trying to get air. And I just remember 
I couldn't breathe and I was just, my body was just flailing all over the place. And this woman was just right there the whole time. And she was just like, whenever you're ready to surrender and let go, just let go. And um, I'm such a fighter because I'm a Scorpio. I'm a quadruple <laughs> Scorpio. And I'm a very strong warrior spirit. So I was like, no, I am not letting go. And on top of not letting go, I was screaming in my head because I couldn't talk out loud. I was screaming in my head, I changed my mind. I don't, I changed my mind. I don't need this path. I don't want this path. I changed my mind. And then I, and she said, that's just your fear. She, and she was talking to me while I was screaming. And I realized it was just my fear, my fear of the unknown, my fear of uh, actually crossing over into death. And then um, it just happened. I was all of a sudden washed out of my body. It was like, it was almost the way I've explained it to my friends. And when I was in the hospital, when I finally got the ability to speak again, was this water just came in and washed me out of my body. And... I remember seeing everything. I could hear the, my friend crying and screaming. I could hear them talking to him. I can hear the doctors. I can hear the machines. I can hear other conversations happening. I was above. I was below. I was looking from every angle. And everything was liquidy. And it looked like I was on the bottom of a pool looking up at the top of the water of the pool. But like lights, like when you go swimming in a pool or in the ocean and you can see the lights glimmering on top of the water. It looked like that. It was very ethereal. And then all of a sudden, my grandmother was there, and my aunt was there, and my uncle was there, and, and, and other families. And they were basically telling me, you know, you have to go through this one part, and we'll see you when you're through it, and we love you, and you're safe, and everything is fine. And all of a sudden, I was in this liquid, black liquid, like floating around in it. And then these colors came, and this bright light came, and it was so bright and luminescent. And literally, I was floating in this liquid, and all of a sudden, I was standing in a hospital looking at a woman giving birth. And then I was in the body of the woman giving birth and feeling the liquids rushing out with the sounds and everything. It was really intense. And I realized that I was actually watching my mother give birth and being experiencing the birth at the same time while watching her. And then I saw that my dad wasn't there and I saw the hospital and I, I smelled everything. And then it went from that to the next scene, to the next scene, to the next scene. I was living all of it again. Even the times when I got into fights because bull were like picking on me because I was like the nerd in school. Um, everything, everything I felt, everything I've ever said to someone. And then all of a sudden, it went all the way up to the point of my death. And I saw myself dying. And I saw everything. And then I saw my grandmother and my aunt talking to me after me dying. And then I was all of a sudden just okay with everything. And it just all washed away. And the light got brighter and brighter and surrounded me. And I woke up. Or look, it felt like I woke up. Like it was like a, almost like it was bright, 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 bright. And then all of a sudden I was on a beach. And there were like this beautiful beach with these trees and mountains in the background. And the sand was glistening. The water was glistening. Everything was bright. And I didn't have a body. I couldn't see my body. And I remember this woman came up to me. 
And it was, first it was like a glimmer, and then she came up to me, and she says, I know you have questions, but first, she said, why don't you choose what you want to look like? And I was like, I can be anything? And she's like, anything you want, anything you desire. And I said, I want to be as I was before, and all of a sudden, my hands appeared. And I remember, I remember, I remember touching my hands, and um, there were no bones. And there was no cold sensation, and everything felt warm and loving. And I remember looking at the sky, and it had like this sound that was so amazing. And I saw other people near me, and I asked who they were, and she said, "These are other people who have come home." And I remember asking her about God. I was like, "Where is God?" And she said, "Every God is everything, everywhere around you, loving you unconditionally, always there." And then I, I started asking questions about humanity. I started asking, like, why is there illness? Why is there war? Why is people suffer? And she said, malfunction in thinking. She told me that human beings do not think correctly, that they think in opposition to themselves. And therefore, because God is within them and God is a creator, God creates everything they feel and think. And that when they realize that everything is being created because of the fact that they want it to be created and they take responsibility, they'll be able to see the divinity in their creation, which means that creation then will shift into a divinity consciousness. And it was just so clear. It wasn't like God is this God who's judging you and punishing you. She said there is no punishment. Humans punish themselves because the creator in them, if they feel they deserve to be punished, then they get punished. If they feel they deserve to be rewarded, they get rewarded. If they feel that they deserve to be sick, they get sick. If they feel they can't stand being on earth and want to come home, they get to come home. There was like no... Um, there was no, uh, you know, things that I remember my grandfather would tell me like, oh, you know, some people go to hell and some people go to heaven and this and that and the other. It was nothing like that at all. And um, so how long were you under for? How long were you on the other? Um, you came out of this. How long? Um, I remember, if I remember correctly, and I actually have to go back and look at those records, but I remember they said I was I was dead for a while because they was I was dead enough for them to put to start removing the things from my body and going out and telling everyone right. that I've, I've, you know, I've passed over. And, um, and they had just left on the EKG on me. And that's how they actually knew that I came back because they got the beep in the machine. Um, and I think it was something like four minutes or something like wow. that. And, um, but I felt like I was there for years. Sure. Um, and I got to visit friends of mine who, um, who passed away. I got to visit, um, my grandparents. I got to visit ancestors, other friends, other people who said they knew me, but I remember them, but I don't remember them on that lifetime. It was the most amazing place, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I was gonna ask, so what do you say to people who are afraid of death? I think... Most nothing people are nothing to be nothing, afraid of. Nothing at all. Nothing. It's actually, um, you know, the, the fear of death is the fear of the unknown. And the fear of anything in life is the fear of the unknown. And one of the biggest reasons why I think we hold ourselves back in our evolution and way we, we hold ourselves back from our journey into our power in the way that we could utilize our power, as I was taught on the other side, to use um, our thinking to for ourselves in the way that supports our species versus to degrade our species, um, is to stop being afraid and stop being afraid of the unknown and go right. into the unknown. So it brings me up, you know, we talked about death 
I think about self-care. Uh, how do you take care of yourself? You're, you're a human, you're a shaman. Everyone's, you know, unloading their shit on you and, and you gotta, <laughs> and what is, what does self-care look like to you? <laughs> unloading their shit. That's an understatement. Well, it is. Well, you know, I feel like it's like a garbage. You're always giving, comes. you're always giving, you're always <laughs> yes, giving. That's and that's it. Yeah. And you're always giving. So how do you, how do you take care of yourself? So for me, um, it's been a constant journey and a process of learning. You know, I am not a master at taking care of myself. And in fact, um, the reason why I like to get involved with people in wellness who have really learned certain aspects of taking care of yourself helps me to learn more ways in taking care of myself. I think the journey of taking care of myself is going to be the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so, but for now, what I usually do is um, I isolate myself and um, I go into nature. Like I just got back uh, from the Yucatan. I was in the jungle. I go a lot to nature. Um, I go into a lot of solitude. Um, I also do a lot of um, deep work on myself. Like I love going and facing more of my shadows, um, looking deeper into the places that are most uncomfortable inside of me. Hmm. And um, that helps me to create new energies that actually um, charge me and cleanse me and, and revive me. Um, another wonderful way that I love to um, take care of myself is I play video games. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's your favorite um, video game? Uh, so I have a, a lot of them, but one of my favorite games is Abzu, and it's about um, this um, ocean goddess who creates this this being who goes and swims through the water and learns about the animals in the ocean and then finds out what's wrong with the ocean and then reports back to her through his soul, and then she can fix the oceans and clean it and make it, it right. It sounds like a very and... positive video game. It's not like Grand Theft Auto. No, I don't play games <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't so, watch scary movies and so, I don't play violent video games. So you mentioned the ocean. In your opinion, what are the big issues that we're facing with the planet today? The one of the biggest issues that we're facing with the planet is the victim consciousness that human beings have um, used as another scapegoat from reality. So what humans have done is they have made themselves victims so they can continue complaining and, and, and being in dis, discord with the things that are happening, be it in their politics or the things that they don't like. They're constantly focusing on the things they don't like. And what happens is it pulls them further into the wheel of suffering and so in order for evolution to actually take place the wheel must shift out of suffering and into a different form of evolution and so we use suffering and pain as a way to promote movement and evolution on our planet and we keep using it as an agitator so every time we need to move forward we create some form of agitation mm. in order to move forward and we have to get out of this addiction to the need to be a victim and recognize that victim consciousness has played itself out long enough on this planet. Oh, I love that. And so the way, how do we get out of victim consciousness? That was my next question. Oh, great. I love it. I'm going to go take a break. You just... <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so yeah, the way we get out of victim consciousness is to um, begin to operate with each other, right? To work together, um, and not just operate each other in the sense of like, hey, I know you, and you, and we follow each other on Instagram or Twitter or this or that and the other. That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is holding each other accountable to be our greatest selves, to be out of victim consciousness. Like I'll give you an example. I was at the airport recently. And I was um, flying out of town and the woman who was helping me with my ticket, she had made a mistake on the computer and she said to herself, oh, I'm such an idiot. Everything goes wrong for me. I'm such an idiot, she says to me out loud while she's doing the computer. And I said, stop, that's not tolerated here. And she said, what? I said, it's not tolerated anymore. I said, we, are, we have gone long enough to stand in front of people and to watch you, a beautiful woman who's smart, intelligent, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure a genius, but you haven't allowed yourself to see the full potential of your greatness. Put yourself down and let people around you just let it happen. I said, I can't do it anymore. You're not an idiot, so take it back. And she's like, well, and I said, no, there is no more excuses. There's no one, there's nowhere you can run right now. You are being held accountable right now to love yourself and see the truth of who you are. So take it back. And she goes, you're right, I'm not a victim. I'm smart and I'm educated. I go, that's right. And she had tears in her eyes and she's like, no wow. one's ever said that to me. And I said, because it's time. You see, we can't sit idly back and, and be sedentary in the way that we operate as human beings. We have done that far too long. And look at what has come out of it. Look at the calamity, the destruction, the, the chaos that is instilled because of our, our silence. You know, Martin Luther King said, a person who is silent is worse than the person who is racist. Because a person who is silent does nothing. But a person who's at least saying something is doing something. But it's like, what are you saying? Are you complaining? Right. Or are you well, creating a solution? You mentioned what are we saying? What are the, the language changes we can make on a daily basis? Well, for one, <laughs> and what, you know, it's really funny because I actually said this once in an interview and someone said to me, wrote me this really nasty letter and said, how dare you as a shaman say that hope is not a word. Hope gives people hope. And I said to the person, I said, I understand the way you feel and I understand where you're coming from. I said, but if you went to a doctor and the doctor said to you, I really hope that we could um, get you through this surgery. Are you going to feel, what are you going to feel? <laughs> You know, or if like if you went to the, I really hope we can fix these teeth. You know, I really hope we're we're going to be able to give you that loan. You know, so it's like the word hope. People think it's like hope. I hope for something great. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, Shana but Derek, the musical. <laughs> I love seeing coming on Broadway, twenty twenty one. I'm such a Disney head. Seriously, I know you are. So, um, but the hope itself is a limitation. And in, 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 in the in shamanism, we always say that you're either cursing or you're creating, right? So. The word hope means that you're in limbo. You don't know if it's going to go this way and you don't know if it's going to go that way. So what happens? You go in limbo. And limbo means no power. Limbo means you either observe or you um, 
you um, you desecrate. So when people go in the limbo, they're either observing and looking at what's going on in their life and stopping everything from happening so they can t- make better decisions as a creator, or they're, they're desecrating themselves by feeling guilty, feeling bad, thinking of the worst case scenarios, all the horrible things that could happen to them, and they stay stuck in limbo with that energy, which is like, that's hell in itself. That's pure torture. So the words that we don't want to use are words that stick you in limbo. Like, for instance, when someone's talking to me, especially when we're like, if I'm in a private or just having a conversation with a friend and they go, maybe. Hope, try, maybe. Yeah, I'm like, uh, maybe what? What are you <laughs> maybe? You mean yes? And they're like, yes. I said, okay, good. So commit to one. Commit to something. So hope, maybe. I think so. It's possible. Um, I don't know. Oh, I don't know is the killer of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say? What are, the, what are the words we should be using more? Well, first of all, when you say I don't know, it means that you just have no power. You have no power. And you are a living, walking creation. What's a better answer if you literally don't know the answer to something? If you say I don't know, be like, I am giving thought to it. I'm bringing it into my thoughts. I'm. Um, I'll I'm, go find out. I'll go find out. I'm opening myself up to that information. It's not. I don't know. You say. Let me. Let me do some. Um, inf- uh, let me do some information. We do gathering. some homework. Yeah, something like that. Um, and then instead of saying maybe, you already know what you like. So if you say maybe, it's just basically you already know. So just be honest about what you know. A lot of times people use maybe and I think so and it's possible because they don't want to commit well they're also afraid to say something to someone i think often like well you're going to come to dinner maybe right but no i'm not going to go to dinner but isn't that a (laughs) non-committal person that's a non-commit right and if someone says that to me i just simply say well look you know what don't give me a maybe take some time to meditate and get clarity because clarity is like the golden chalice right like clarity brings so much to light because if someone says to me maybe i'm like just go meditate and get clarity on it and get back to me so we need to be a a bit more definitive and clear yeah our words because you have people walking around in complete confusion not the, like I'm thinking about doing this. Say, I'm going to do this. This is what this is what we're doing. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't even say I'm going to do it because even I'm going to do it is a future, uh, a future, and the future doesn't exist. And people always say to me, Shaman Dirk, what is my future? And I'm like, what do you want it to be? Because the future has many roads. It's a quantum future you you're talking about. So, so how do you speak about so like? People are thinking about, you know, 2018 resolution. So how do you speak about the future in a way like I'm not going to do like in 2018? What do you say instead of saying in 2018, I'm going to do X or Y? How, how do you rephrase that? Then I'll move on from from language. That's fine. I don't even go into in 2018. I'm going to do such and such and such because you're not even in 2018 and you don't know what you're going to do because the energy can be completely different. So I would wait till I get to 28, 2018. And then I would say, um, I'm so excited um, for all the beautiful things that I've been doing, such as blah, 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 blah. You speak in past tense once you're in that space. Got it. Because then the energy then moves things faster for okay, you so and manifests quicker. I'm I'm getting it now. So less future tense, speak in the present or past tense. Yeah. As if, as if. Yeah, because there is no such thing off of the pref. There's nothing, there's no future. The future doesn't exist. You're either in the past or you're in the now. Good. You're in the past or you're in the now. So spe- speaking of the now, why does it seem like everyone in wellness or everyone's flocking to shamans? You know, it's really We're funny. trying to become a shaman. Right. Okay. Well, first of all, I think a lot of them is doing it because it's on trend. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it really is. It's like um, I remember back in the days before that even came when people didn't even talk about shamans and I would tell people I was a shaman. They were like, uh, what? What's that? You know, now it's like, oh, really? Do you have ayahuasca? You know, oh, we'll it's talk like, about that too. yeah. So like the, the thing is, it's become on trend and a lot of people are flocking to shamans because they're looking for something that they haven't done, something that they don't really know about. A lot of people think they know what shamanism is. They think that shamanism is taking like a plant medicine or doing any Taking some ayahuasca and then start, you know, giving people advice. Yeah. And all of a sudden, oh, they went to Peru for like a weekend and they come back and they're just like, I'm a shaman now. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. You know, because it's a, it's a life devotion. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm focusing my energy on is actually making shamanism not just what you become, but making it a lifestyle choice based on how shamans live their lives, how they think, how they interact with others, how they connect with each other. Um, it can be a way of life. Yeah. So, you know, so I want to make shaman, shamanism a lifestyle choice, not just belonging to a tribe member, but you follow the ways of the teachings of shamans, you know, um, kindness and, and devotion and givingness. And when you when you connect with someone, you actually make a connection with that person as as not just a hi, let me pat you or shake your hand, but let me really embrace you and feel you and connect with you because you are living spirit. And, um, you know, so I feel like what's happening is that people are looking in this, this, you know, this, this culture and this society of, uh, this pop culture culture is making shamans really hot and cool because it comes with all of these medicines and things that come along with it. And a lot of things that people think, Hey, well, you know, um, shamans are getting a lot of attention, so I should be a shaman too. <laughs> so now I become the dog walker shaman or the Reiki shaman, or I'm now the life coach turned shaman. Or, you know, I learned how to bang a drum and read crystals, and so now I'm a shaman, which none of these things have anything to do with shamanism whatsoever. A shaman is one who can create his own symbols and create his own magic and his own energy because we're taught that way since we're kids. Like, I can pull a symbol out of midair and give it power and, and then give it to you, and you'll use it and be like, oh, my God, I can feel the energy from it and so forth. Shamans aren't following other, you know, taking from other people's, um, you know, um, uh, spiritual understandings or spiritual toolboxes, as you would say, and utilizing those things and putting it into their bags of tricks. They're not right. doing that. So a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about what shaman is and shaman, the word itself. Um, a lot of people don't even know what it means. Tell us. Yeah. So the word shaman is a Saxon word that comes back from Siberia, which basically means one who knows or one who sees. Mm. And, um, and the way that we're raised as shamans or the way that we're taught is um, where the first key to being a shaman is removing your judgment um, and being able to be liquid, to be fluid. They call it fluid. I, came, I changed the name to liquid because I think it's more cooler and fun. <laughs> going liquid is what I call it. Um, going liquid means that you don't hold on to an attachment of any reality so that you can slip in between all the different realities that exist. So you can see everyone's point of view from where they're at mm. and you don't justify one as being the ultimate truth. You realize that everyone is seeing from different angles and different experiences, different spectrums, different ways of um, seeing the world and you cannot just go and say well that's wrong because you're holding on to something shamans don't hold on to anything so what we do is we stay in this very liquid state 
someone can be talking to me about religion and I'm like, okay, I'm not here to, to, to tell you you're right or you're wrong. What I'm here to do is just ask you one simple question. Does it lead to love? Mm. Does it make you love more? Do you have more connection to people? Do you feel more of devotion and service? If not, then we just ask you to look at why and what is it that's making it that way. We're not here to tell you like you're wrong for being Muslim. You're wrong for being Christian. Right. You're wrong for being whatever. We're not here to do that. Whereas a lot of times in shamanism, I'll see people who claim to be shamans get angry at people very quickly. And I'm like, why are you getting angry? Are you no afraid? one wants to be around an angry shaman. No one wants to be around an angry shaman. And, you know, and I'll meet other shamans who, will be, who won't even give me a hug. You know, they, they don't even want to give a hug. They're like, I'm a, you know, and I go, why? They're like, I don't want to touch people's negative energy. And then I'm like, you're not really a shaman. Right. Because a shaman can walk into any world and be unscathed. I can walk into dark realms that are so dark that people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe you're even dealing with those type of spirits. It doesn't bother so me. So you mentioned ayahuasca. Yes. Aya. Aya. The new hip cold word. Yeah. So what? I, personally, that's something I don't believe in, but I'm curious what you think. I honestly think that um, people are raping the uh, traditional medicines as an escape um, and giving themselves Disneyland effects. Right to me, it's justifying drugs. It's justifying drugs, but it's but you're getting out of yourself. To, like to me, the whole idea of of being a shaman or medi- whatever spiritual practice you want to go in, you don't want to run away. You want to run in, and drugs to me is running away. It's getting out of yourself. You want to get in. You're a brilliant man. That's why we're friends. All right, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so that's so, exactly what so you, I feel. You, you, okay. So you also mentioned that it's super cool to be in wellness now and and, and being a shaman. Uh, talk to me a little bit about celebrities and wellness. So I think that there is, um, um, you know, a misaligning factor that people are placing on our planet when it comes to public figures, celebrities. You know, the whole yada yada. Um, we are starting to treat them like this is, um, literally, I went to see this movie the other day, uh, other day of Thor and then Thor, you know, lives on top of this like place where like, you know, Zeus and all the different gods live and stuff. And literally that's how I look at what we're doing to, to public figures and celebrities that we are glorifying them, putting them up on pedestals and making them untouchable to the point that their words are called the golden, you know, the golden voice. And, um, and honestly, um, the credibility, I mean, let's, let's like, let's look, let's look at, um, uh, Jenny McCarthy, for instance, you know, she had talked about, you know, getting vaccinations create autism, you know, and, went, and this whole thing and everyone was agreeing with her because she's a big celebrity, you know, and bless her dear heart. I mean, she means well because she really wants to support and help, you know, parents and, and you know, and so forth and kids. And her, her, her underlining reason for doing it is, is, a, is a beautiful meaning. However, just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean that what you say, because you are a celebrity, um, is factual or true by the definition of both allopathic medicine and holistic medicine. And what, what, what gets me, um, you know, is how people are so blindly taken by these golden voices because it's like, you know, it's almost like Athena is talking to them and they're just bowing <laughs> their heads without even putting common sense into the factor of like, how is it that they know? about this because they did a blockbuster film or because they sang they're the top singer right now and the pop charts or is it because they're the amazing athlete they all of a sudden are promoting this new powder to you and you're going to go and buy it and put it in your body because such and such 
uh, just because uses I have it. a, a celebrity, I have a huge following. Doesn't mean what I'm saying is true. Absolutely, right? absolutely, Jason. And and the thing is, is that people have to go back and start looking at how much glorification we have given um, celebrities' voices um, to how so much of the wellness, the health, the choices, the workouts, the what's hot, what's not, has become this kind of global paradigm of of nonsense <laughs> so speaking of, of nonsense what are the what do you think are the misconceptions around spirituality right now that's a very good question i love you know what i love spending time with you because you're such a smart man um so the i'll mis- take it you're, what, what, what would be a shaman appropriate response thank you <laughs> I thank yourself for being amazing. That's not true. (laughs) It is true. It is true. Absolutely. You are. You're a genius. Thank you. Um, I'll take it. We can continue on this path. New format for the the show. (laughs) No, you are. You really are. People should get your book. um, um, Thank you. The Wealth Book. It's a... it's very wonderful. Um, so yeah. So the thing is, is that if we get into uh, understanding the the way that people are operating in the platform of what people consider um, health and wellness and and all of these things and spirituality. We look at spirituality. What is spirituality? Spirituality, a lot of people think being a spiritual person is like drinking green smoothies, taking your yoga class, making sure you hit the Wonderlust events, making sure that you are, you know, giving heart-to-heart hugs and you say love and light to people as much as possible. (laughs) And, um, And making sure that, like, you know, you're either eating something that doesn't have meat in it and that you're eating, like, very healthy food and that your conversation with your friends are always uplifting and supportive and that you're on a positive vibe basically you just described the west side of la i'm i'm describing a lot of the world because (laughs) this is like the conversation that goes on all over the world when i'm traveling worldwide is this whole new um i call it then you know i to me i make a joke about i call the love and light crew and um i got that idea from the movie greece because i love greece and john tavolta and olivia newton john but olivia's you know that whole pink ladies thing where you know they had their coats on and stuff you know they're in their squadron and i meet these people like literally i was in miami recently and someone tried to give me this heart-to-heart hug and I want to give them a hug and they're like um I'm surprised you're a shaman and you don't give heart-to-heart hugs and I was like what <laughs> I was like okay. I didn't know that was in the, the, shaman, the shaman rule book yeah I mean it really is there's a rule book that goes along with like if you are really a spiritual person you should have gone to India by now and you should have been doing this and you know and I think all of it is a distraction from the truth I think that spirituality you know I had a woman come to me once and she said to me you know it's unfortunate that my husband is not as spiritual as I am and I said oh I didn't know you were in a race and she was like, uh, well, you know, I'm just saying, like, I, you know, I've gone to this workshop and I did this seminar and I've been, I went into did Vipassana and I did this and that. And he doesn't do any of it. And it's just like, I don't even know if we should be married anymore. And I said, well, so you're basically the queen of spirituality. You've got like how many diplomas in spirituality that's giving you <laughs> the, the grando up over your husband to make him, you know, to look down upon him. I said, that's very arrogant. I said, because the, the, the very fact that you actually think that all these things you're doing antiquates your spirituality in itself is pure nonsense. 
The, the, core af, uh, the core ethics of what a spiritual person is, is one who wants to evolve from where they are. Mm-hmm. That's it. So as long as your husband is seeking to evolve, does he seek to evolve? She said, yes. I said, then he's spiritual. Now you can throw all the bells and whistles. You can talk in tongues. You can go to church. You can, you can dance around a tree under a full moon night. You can drink as many green smoothies. You can do yoga classes up the yin yang. It doesn't matter. Those are all things are tools to assist you in your daily focus of self, which is to recognize yourself and to see others within yourself. The key element of spiritual evolution is wanting to embedder the part of your being to, to embrace the shadow or the darkness so much that you're not walking around when you see someone who's upset or angry and you're like going, oh, I can't be around that person because they're just, just, you know, they're just, I'm not resonating. I mean, this is like the word that I hear so much. I'm just like, you got to be kidding what, me. What are, what are your trigger words that when you hear from the love and light crew, they just drive you nuts? Res, Okay. Let's go over the trigger words. Um, heart-to-heart hugs. Um, yeah, I completely get it. That is, you're so right. I feel so good. Oh my God, I'm so resonating with you. <laughs> really? Okay. Um, what's some of the other ones? Um, do you do yoga? Okay. All right. Um, As if it's like a measure for enlightenment that you must do yoga otherwise. It's yeah. a measurement for enlightenment. If you, um, you know, I know spiritual people who eat meat and they're highly devotional monks. They live in the mountains, but they eat meat. Right. You know, but, you know, I could take someone who's from New York who's been doing Wonderlust and yoga and doing everything under my friend Elena Bauer and everything that they follow, every book they follow and everything. And bring them with that monk and that monk, they'll look at that monk and the the monk will teach them so much, you know? So I think what's happened is that people have gotten caught up in these very like superficial trends of what it means to be spiritual instead of realizing a spiritual person is one who can embrace someone, Mm. one who is wanting to evolve, not greater than the other, but with Right. Um, like I meet shamans and any like gurus and shamans and people I've met all over the world. And anytime I see someone put themselves higher than another person, I'm like, I'm sorry, but you aren't who you are. So you mentioned with, which brings me to revitalize this past revitalize where we unveiled you, we all, and, and you, and you played a large role in that. And, it's brilliant. And Talk to us, you know, what is, what does you, we all mean to you and why is it critical in this idea of getting beyond the self? Uh, you, we all means to, to me that in order for our species, and I'm going to say our species, not just an individual culture or belief or religious group or whatever, because it's not about any of those things. Those are all just distractions from the big truth that we're all in this together Um, the you we all factor is the idea of recognizing each other within ourselves. So it's like, I can't sit here and eat a big plate of food when you have never eaten. 
And I can't sit back and watch um, you go through something and not be there to support you through it. Because if I support you through it, I'm not just supporting myself, I'm also supporting everyone else. So the consciousness of the collective gathering becomes not based on like certain trends or ideas or color or race or any of these um, you know, nationalisms or ideas of patriotism or whatever. It's based on human beings it's mm. based on the nature of spirit it's based on the kindness and the development of that collective i call it like the it's the soft tissue of the collective right that soft tissue needs a lot of support and love and nutrients and nurturing and so forth and so in that collective you know the more you are focusing on the we you're focusing like if you see me write my articles i always talk about the we i include myself in the teaching um it's because it's a part of us all it's not me dictating it's not you dictating it's not a person dictating like when i work with ceos i talk to them and i'm like look your business is not going to thrive if you do not see the we factor that every person is you know like when i was in iceland i was doing this talk in um um into all the business and bankers in iceland and um we did it at the harpa and um you know one of the things i had said is like you know putting a plate on your on your finger can everyone all the businessmen pick up the plate and put it on their finger and no one could do it no one can put that plate on their finger and um, i said can you not balance one finger with the plate and they're like no i said okay well you can't because you need other hands to hold it right. and so that's how i look at it all like you cannot just by common sense alone do it on your own we have to do it together so the we bring back the we in wellness yeah the we in wellness and the we in in spirituality the we in growth the we in 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 medicine and holistic understanding and all of the technologies that we have available on the planet there's no reason why we human beings need to even have poverty consciousness on this planet or suffering or lack or limitation when there's so much we availability so what keeps you up at night and what has you excited every morning hmm that's interesting. Um, what keeps me up at night? Um, what do I? Well, I do a lot of interesting things at night. <laughs> <laughs> Different show. <laughs> Different show. Um, no, so I, I spend a lot of time um, at night preparing myself to go into the underworld. I do a lot of leaving my body at night, going into the astral plane, traveling through the lower dimensions to find beings that have not been able to accept themselves to move into the light or have been holding themselves back from going into the light who are trapped in the, in the shadow planes. So I, I get excited about doing that at nighttime. So a lot of my nighttime is about preparation, meditation. I also take what we call energy inventory. So I sit back in my bed or in my living room and I, I do energy inventory. Where is my energy gone to the most today? Hmm. What did I put my energy the most to? Did I put it to in nurturing people more? Did I put it into um, getting agitated about something? Did I put it, like, where did my energy go and why? And then I make a little note on my book 
And I look at like where my energy was spent the most. Was it spent on a computer? Was it spent on my Instagram? Was it spent here? Was it spent then? And I do an energy inventory so at the end of the week I can look at where my energy is being most I love utilized. That. Anyone, not everyone can do the shadow plane exercise that you do, but everyone can do that. I love everyone that. Everyone can do the energy inventory. Um, the about, other thing I do on top of the energy inventory is I look at the people that I met in that day and what the energy connection is. Why? What did I feel when I met them? What was the energy? Because there's certain friends and people from other times that existed that show up in different bodies that I want to be aware of. And so when I meet people, I like to kind of really tap in, like, did I give a lot of love to that person when I met them? Did I feel restrained? Did I hold myself back? Did I, was there something I wanted to say, but I didn't? I look at these things not as a, you couldn't, did you shouldn't have done this or did that. I don't, I don't believe in self-flagellation. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look at things as an opportunity for growth. And so that's what I, that's my ritual. And then I do a little meditation with my, with my Shungite crystals, um, which I love. And then um, sometimes, um, depending on what I'm feeling at night, sometimes I'll sing, sometimes I'll draw poetry, sometimes I just go straight to bed. Um, but then in the morning time, my ritual is about creating new energy. So I think about um, I, I call preloading my day. So I preload my day with a, with a f focus. So it's, do I preload my day with love? So I call it washing myself with love. Do I wash myself with wisdom? Do I wash myself with purpose? Love that. And then what happens is whatever I wash myself with, it's really funny because at the end of the day, when I look back in my book, I actually see that um, the thing that I washed myself with was what I actually put my energy yeah. into the most. So what do you say to people who are listening, who are like, I I'm on board, you know, I, I want to live on a, a more spiritual path. I want to be more conscious. Like I I'm buying what he's selling, so to speak. Like what, what's like one, but, but maybe there's a person in their life who's not going to be open to big changes. Like what's like one little thing, like anyone listening for themselves or a loved one could like do tomorrow to, to, to start living a more conscious life. And what is that? <laughs> I love you. So, you know, um, I always love exercises and especially the exercises that I was given in my training as a shaman. I think one of the one of the ones that my students who've been training with me for years love the most out of some of the other ones. Um, but I'll give you a couple. Um, so one of the exercises that I have my students do is called non-judgmental day. Right. <laughs> and um, basically what you do is you just go through life. And you start off as a day, but the whole object is to be able to do it for a whole month, right? But you don't, but I don't usually just say do it for a month right away because I want people to feel comfortable in the journey. Sure, one right? day at a time. Exactly. Um, and before you know it, you've actually done a whole month, which is quite lovely. Um, and so you start one day of non-judgmental, and it's just acceptance of everything. Even the things that you actually would find repulsive or disgusting, it's constantly accepting it because the cool thing, and it was actually really funny because... Um, you know, Kelly and I had this uh, conversation. Kelly uh, Rutherford. Yeah, last night on the phone, we were having this deep spiritual conversation. And, and she was saying to me, um, we were talking about exactly that. We were talking about how, you know, you, she goes through life and looks at things. And like, even if it's crazy or she would never even do it, she honors it because it's like it exists. 
and that someone is getting to experience it. And as you're saying, the cool thing about being on Earth is that you get to experience these things that you may have never done, but you can experience anything. And so the idea of accepting things allows you to be comfortable with the way things are. And the biggest reason why people suffer the most is they're trying to change everything to mm. fit their comfort their comfort state, realizing that their comfort state um, has a huge range, but they don't allow that range to expand because they're in judgment, right? And judgment blocks energy, it blocks information, it blocks data, it blocks I mean, it blocks opportunity. It blocks everything. It's like literally the spirit killer, right? <laughs> you know, I love this movie from Dune and it was like, um, and he would put his hand in the box and then he's like, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. My fear is the mind killer. I must not fear. I love that movie. And that's, I feel the same thing about judgment. I think of judgment as being that box of like, it's like literally going to block you. It's like the biggest uh, block you could ever create in your life. And so going through the non-judgmental day has helped my students get into a place of acceptance and it allows them to see more in the universe. So a lot of times you only feel comfortable seeing what you want to see because you can accept it and you're okay with it. And most people don't realize that all choices are made in life are based between acceptance and non-acceptance or being in limbo. So if you are able to go into non-judgment day where you just let things be the way they are without you needing to like have a judgment about it you actually begin to see so much more than you've ever seen so like that in itself is an amazing one do you want the second I one i love that let's say let's get the second one okay so the second one is being able to recognize your service Right. So recognize service isn't just about you joining some nonprofit organization and going and fighting for elephants in Africa. Right. Service is about how you interact with people every single day. The service could be giving someone um, a conversation and conversating with them and just giving them love and acknowledgement and support. Um, how are you serving? How are you serving um, the place in, that you are where you live? I, I remember living in L.A. I was living in Silver Lake. And I just love this woman. She was so amazing, this woman. Um, so there's a woman here, her name was Carlita. And she'd get up every morning. And I lived at the end of the street in this tree house. And she would get up every morning and pick up the trash on the street. And I was just like, amazing. And so one day I decided to go outside. And I was like, hi, who are you? And she told me her name and da-da-da-da. And I said, why are you picking up the trash? And she says, why not? And I was like, but then you know, why are you doing it? And she's like, because someone has to do it and I choose to be the one to do it. She's like, it's my service. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And so I literally, from she was like my greatest teacher, like this woman who is the stranger that I met, who's probably not even a stranger if we wanna go into the, on the truth of it, <laughs> and um, was put there for me to see, but it got me into this place of like, what is service? So what I do is I teach my students, because we have this thing in, in shamanism as well, of how to be a servant. To be a servant is to actually be a shaman, right? So shamans are the servants. We are servants to love. And so giving service to people, how do you give service to people? It can come in many forms. But you get to choose every day. I'm going to be a servant. And then you get to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. So that's another uh, one of the So what do, you, what do you do when you're really pissed off? Which oh. I'm sure how you're human. Yes, of course. So like, do, do you have, or, or what, does that, what does that look like? So, okay. So the first thing I do is I check myself um, with love. 
I interrogate myself. I do what is called loving interrogation. I was just actually <laughs> at my sister's house, and you know, when you're around family, sometimes they can just really, sure. you know, get under your skin. Yeah, the, uh, holidays are coming up. You know, what do you do? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I do is I look at what the charge is first, right? So, if it happens to be like, for instance, um, I was talking to my sister, and she said something to me, and it really upset me. And I noticed my voice started going up, and I like stopped. And I was like, look, I'm sorry for directing my anger at you. I said, but what you're saying right now is making me very angry, but it's not because you're making me angry. I'm making myself angry, and I just want you to know that's where I'm at right now. Then I go away, and I get away from her. And I basically ask myself, where do you feel um, insecure right now? what's 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 causing the insecurity for you right now and then soon as i get that information it's like oh because of what she said brings you back to your childhood when she didn't believe in you when you were playing the drums what if the person is just like a complete asshole and it's nothing to do with you well if the person is a complete asshole you simply have to realize they're sick and you just walk away they have a flu. Do you know, yeah. like, I, I, <laughs> have this, there's this TV show that comes on called The Walking Dead. Sure. And everyone's, like, big fans of it and everything. And I'm just like, seriously, all you have to do is look outside. There's a lot of people walking dead. Ooh. You know, and it's not because they're bad people. It's just because they've been polluted with so much darkness right. that they're only, when every time they open their mouths or say something, it's got this negative flow that comes through it. And what these people need is acceptance and love. And I just simply decide how I'm going to operate in that space of realizing that when you're working in a hospital, because I work in a lot of hospitals, I one of the first things I learned in working in hospitals, especially in Muslim countries and Israel and things like that, is um, people would scream at me. They would say, like, I hate you, shaman. I hate you. You know, and then, like, at first it used to bother me. Sure. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm here doing all this healing work on you, and you're, like, telling me you hate me, you know? And then I talked to my mother and my mom's like, what did you learn as a shaman, son? What did you learn as a shaman? And I said, I learned at a shaman that when people are plagued with darkness, that they're sick and ill and they have a flu or they have a virus. And so when people are sick, they're going to act out against, char- against their character. Um, and that's not who they really are. They're operating from a place of their sickness. She said, exactly. And do you take it personally? And I said, absolutely not. I do not take it personally. And it really helped me. And so when people act out in those ways, and I get a lot of people acting out at times, um, I just simply realize they're ill. Wow. You so know? It's... And it just takes the charge right out of me. Sure. I'm just like, oh, they're ill. Yeah, that's normal. That's what happens when people are ill. So if you could go back in time and speak to 20-something Shaman Durek and, and give 20-something Shaman Durek advice, what advice would that be? Okay, let me go back, actually, and go there. <laughs> okay. I would say to 20-something Shaman Durek, um, you don't need to worry if the people are going to like you um, because of, you know, um, because of your gifts and um, you don't need to make people happy so that you feel loved and supported to be who you are. Um, you don't need to give in to people's desires for you, um, be it sexually or just for the need to be around you because you are who you are. I want you to know that what lies ahead of you is for you to embrace yourself with so much love that you don't have to worry about where that love is coming from because you have so much for yourself. And I love you. Keep going. Wow. I think that's great advice for 
anyone listening, thank you so much, Shaman Durek, for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I love you. Thank you. We love you too. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye.